Awesome. Come on, we can do better than that. Let's thank the Lord today. Come on. Great to see you all. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you. Good to see you online too. Um, Linda is at Luton Christian Centre today, one of our Elam churches. It's where my son-in-law and my daughter pastor. So pray for her. She ministered today. And also tonight, is she's recruiting for Dare Conference at the ladies' night tonight. So I've said, you must come back with many tickets sold. So let me just pray. Um, before we continue. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to minister, Lord, not only in our own setting, but Lord, beyond. We pray, Lord, that Linda will be a blessing, Lord, to Luton Christian Fellowship. We thank you, Father, for the word that you put on our heart. I ask God to move by your spirit in that church. And Lord, today, as we come before you, Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would take the word today and that you would plant it in our lives. We ask you that you would do the workings in our hearts. We pray as those who are hearing the word today, that, that we will be open to hear from God to our lives today. Lord, you want to speak to us to do us good, not to harm us, but to give us hope for a future. And also, Lord, we pray for the preacher today. Just put your hands forward and pray with me for me today as I bring the word. Father, we pray as we de I deliver this word today, I ask you that you would breathe upon it, that you would give clarity. And Father God, that you would sow good seed Lord, into the hearts of your people, and Lord, that they would bear much fruit for your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible, turn with me, iPhone, if not, just listen to me, but there's going to be quite a few scriptures today, it's going to be a bit of a teaching message, um, but as I was studying this message today, you know, I want to tell you a little bit about me when I prepare for messages. Um, when I come to, like, finish this preach, my mind is thinking about what's next, and it's, it's a bit of a tiring journey when you, when you know that you've got to get another message. You, you know, and, and I'm a sort of person that um, I need to know that it's what actually the Lord wants me to speak about in some way. It's something connects when I, I read the Scriptures or I know that, yes, this is what God wants to sort of communicate. Then I start to do the study around that. Until I get that moment, I, I'm really anxious. Um, I, I really can't settle. But, but when I get like knowing what I need to say, whether it's Monday or Wednesday, I get the peace of God and I actually can just, I'm happy. And so you need to know, know that, that when we come to prepare the Word of God, it's, it's serious. And we, we, you know, for me personally, I, I take it really serious. I take every message as if it was my last message. And, and so you need to know that. And, um, and so that's, that's what we want to give ourselves to, that we can do our best. If this is my last message, uh, the Lord would know that I put every effort in to give you what I feel is important, that he wants to deliver to you and what may help you in your life. So just pray for us as preachers that, that we get fresh bread to communicate to, to you guys and that hopefully it will do you good. So my title of my message today is Many Expressions of Thanks to God. I want to try and bring to you today four expressions of how we can give thanks to God. Now, obviously, the first one is through our singing. We've done that this morning. We give thanks to Him. We praise Him. But there are four things, four other expressions from what I'm going to bring to you today from the Word, which I believe is how we can give thanks to God. And it's actually not from our mouths. It's from our lives. And so my reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This passage is on um, about Paul asking the church about 
bringing an offering. Now, I'm not going to talk to you on this message about you giving more money. So please let me just to remove that from your minds because some of you will shut off if you think I'm reading this just to get your money because I'm not. And so when I was reading this, there's one thing that really hit me that I need to finish this meeting on. This is one of the purposes that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to, to deposit in, in, in this church today. And as I was studying this, some other things came out of it, which I think is really important for us as believers, how we can express thanksgiving to God. Okay, This is the motive of this message, that what we do as believers, that our lives can be a thanksgiving to him continually, with our, not only with our praise, but also with our actions. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1 to 15. If you've got an iPad, just please read with me and let's go through this. I'm going to give you some background, I'm going to give you some, some study to think about, and then I'm going to just bring some four points to us and hopefully that they will help you. So let me start, verse 9, verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1, sorry. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Ikea were ready to give, not Ikea the shop, but I, uh, Ikea, I think that's the way it's spelled, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you, would be a, we won't be ashamed of having been so confident in you. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance to finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it would be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, underline that, in all things, at all times, even through a recession, okay, all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they are freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. 
And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his incredible or indescribable gift. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and the history of the Corinthian church is in Acts chapter 19, 18 where Paul leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth and there he meets two people, Aquila and Priscilla, man and wife, and they are Jews. And so he goes into the synagogue and he begins to reason with the Jews and the Greeks about Jesus. After a while, they get um, abusive and they begin to harass him and uh, so much so that the Apostle Paul decides that he is no longer gonna talk about Jesus to them. He said, right, because of your aggression, because of your resistance to the gospel, I am no longer gonna preach to you, I'm gonna go and preach to the Gentiles. As you read Acts 18, it's, it's fascinating, because this is exactly what it says. It says, so Paul left the synagogue, listen, and he went next door. Incre interesting. He went next door to a household that was worshippers, and it tells us as he shared about Jesus, the whole household became believers and the church in Corinth was established. When I read that this morning, I went, but Lord, he was ministering his heart out in the synagogue, but right next door was another household. One household right next door was hard-hearted and refused the gospel, but somebody right next door was open to hear the message. And then I thought about church. You can be sat next to somebody right next door and you can hear this message today and it will bounce off you like it doesn't exist. But the person right next to you can be so open that they receive the word and begin to bear fruit. My prayer is today that you'll be the person next door. Come on. I was fascinated. If you're preaching the gospel to somebody and they're resistant, just go next door. Because if they don't want it, somebody so near to you will want it. And we so uh, underestimate the hunger of people to hear about Jesus. But Paul decided he's no longer going to waste his time, no longer going to cast his pearls before swine, but he would go next door and this household was open that they gave their lives to Jesus. Now, Paul stayed there for 18 months to minister the work of God. It's interesting that when Paul went and started the ministry in Corinth, he was a tent maker. There was no finances at that time to help him minister, so he went back to his job and, tent and did some tent making to help him to preach the gospel. And then it says, then, then after a while, he committed himself more to preaching the gospel, and then the church got started. And then Paul continues with this church for 18 months teaching me. He leaves them to go and minister somewhere else and he hears a report about this church and how this church has actually become worldly. So Paul writes two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. The first one, when you read 1 Corinthians, it's all about division and I follow Paul. It's all about personalities and it keeps you on the point in the back that Jesus is the one you need to follow. You know, you need to make sure that he's number one in your life, not, not a personality, but Jesus is the one. And then it talks about divisions among you and court cases and sexual immorality. This church is moving in the power of God, but also is moving in some carnality. 
So you have to understand the context of Corinth. It was wild. It, it was like a black pool on a hot day where just any, anything goes. And this, this household got saved. Paul was teaching them for 18 months. He leaves. And then what happened was there was some false apostles came in the church and they begin to teach the, the, them about that Paul's not a real apostle and they begin to, de, the, to defy his apostleship. So, so Paul begins to, to, to write in 2 Corinthians to defend his authority as an apostle to try and win back his church. Because these guys, the false apostles, were trying to teach them to, to obey the law so they could get saved. They were trying to introduce them back to Judaism. So Paul writes and says, no, come on, let me tell you about these guys. I am a, an authentic apostle. And, and he talks about what he's gone through for them and the struggle. And eventually Paul wins the majority of the church and they repent and then they make him their apostle again. And then so now Paul in chapter 8 and 9 reminds them of the commitment they made in 1 Corinthians that they were going to give a gift to the poor church in Jerusalem. So that's the backdrop to the reading I've just given to you. So that's the context. Paul is reminding them of the promise they made to him because other churches, Gentile churches, were also taking offerings and taken to the church in Jerusalem. In Romans 16, we'll tell you that. Paul thanks the church in Macedonia for taking an offering and taking it to the poor church in Jerusalem. And now Paul reminds the Corinthian church to, to remember their gift. And then he tells them what to do. He says, make sure you do it every day in accordance with your income. So when I come, I won't need to take an offering. And I won't be ashamed. And, and the boasting that I've made to the Macedonian churches, when I come, I won't feel embarrassed that you've not followed your commitment to what you said you was going to do. And so Paul then continues to write to them and to encourage them. And so he says to them, I want to remind you in 2 Corinthians 8, when if you read this when you go home, he says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So he's using the example of another church to provoke this church to give, okay? For reaching the poor church in Jerusalem. It's an offering. This is what he's talking about, an offering. For I testify that they gave much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. In other words, they weren't manipulated. They weren't promised a new house or a new car to make them give because some preachers will promise you the earth as long as you give to their ministry. You know, but he says entirely on their own. In other words, there was a conviction between them and God about their generosity. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. That would be revival, wouldn't it? If the church is ringing up, if you were ringing up every day to Paul, our, our finance officer, pleading with him to give to the needs to reaching people for Jesus, that'd be a revival. And they exceeded our expectations. And listen to what Paul says. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. If you want to know what the will of God is, a part of the will of God is giving financially to the work of God. No dispute, that's what Paul says and teaches. 
And without their contribution, the church in Jerusalem would have really, really struggled. So I want to say to you that, that what really hit me though as I was reading this passage that, because I don't want to just focus on the giving issue, but I want to do say to you, I'm going to end with this point, that giving financially to the work of God is an act of expression of thanks to God. And so you need to know that. And so when I read this and it says that, if you look at the, the title, I've said many expressions of thanks to God. I begin to think, Lord, what are, what are some expressions of thanks to God that we can live out in our lives to help us to, to, to offer our thanks with you with our lives? And I thought, well, in this passage, it's obvious the first one is giving financially to the work of God because you told us what it does. It not only expresses thanks to God, but also other people will thank those that give to God's work. And that, I find that incredible of the appreciation that comes with a generous heart. So I begin to look through the Bible and some searching to look at some other ways where we can offer thanks to God with our lives. So, are you, are you ready for this? That's, too, that's nobody today. <laughs> are you ready? Rather than, you know, so one of us that you started today by giving God worship and thanks from your mouth, that's one way. I'm going to end with the second way, but it's point four is through financial giving, but I'm not going to talk a lot about that. But there is three other ways, and one of them is going to last a bit longer than the other two, but there are other ways through Scripture that tells us how we can give thanks to God. And so I want to impart them to you, I want to share them with you, so you know that when you leave today, that you can actually give thanks to God in, in many ways in our lives. So let's look at the first one. The first one is that how we can give thanks to God is by living a godlier life. By living a godly life. See, all the other stuff are external things. Our praise, our giving, and the other two that I'm going to share with you. But this one is an internal working of our lifestyle to God, which expresses, when we obey His Word, a continual gratitude of expression of thanks to Him. So Romans 1 helps me to help us communicate this to us. Romans 1 verse 18. He's talking to about the majority of people that don't know Jesus and the Apostle Paul sets out in Romans to talk about and helping us to know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't get saved by works, but we are justified by faith. And he goes on to talk about that in Romans. But he starts with Romans 1 and he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, see godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made his, it made plain to them, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Listen to this verse, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. How did they not give thanks to Him? 
They didn't give thanks to him by actually ignoring his word and his, and his, and his lifestyle that was prescriptive for those who want to love God. They, 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 they brought God down to their own image. Instead of worshipping the Creator, they worshipped created things. And so we can see that, that they suppress the truth by their wickedness. So a life that is living, a life without Christ's life in them can never give thanks to him. Because everything they do is opposite to what God requires to live a kind of life that honours God. So they couldn't give thanks to him by the way they were living. So as Christians, the way that we can give thanks to God is by living a godly life, not a godless life. Say amen. amen. Now I know you don't want to like this preaching because I'm going to talk about sin a little bit. And sometimes we've talked so much about grace, we've lost sight of about living a right life before God because of his grace. So I don't want to leave you condemned, but I do want to bring to our attention that an ungodly life as a Christian does not give thanks to him. So you can may give him praise this morning, but if you're living a life of known sin, then your life is not saying thank you to him. So it can come from your mouth, but not from your life. So I want to live a life that says thank you to him without even coming out of my lips. And that comes by my choices according to live God's way instead of the world's way. Say amen with me. And so Romans 1 says they exchange the truth about God for a lie. See, when you decide to live a life outside of God's word, you are exchanging the truth for your lie because it suits what you want to live in your life. Come on, I'm talking to the church now. I'm not talking to non-believers. Paul talks to non-believers in chapter one, but then he starts talking to believers as we get through into the scriptures. I want to talk to the church that know his grace, that have been forgiven and expressed. I have a testimony, but now we have to manage the testimony by living a life that gives thanks to God. So they say exchange the truth for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen, Paul says. And Paul says that God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts to exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural, for natural ones. If you've got a Bible, I want you to go home and read Romans 1 because it will tell you in more detail what the unnatural sexual desires are or relations. It's the shameful lusts and every kind of wickedness. So Paul talks about how the world has, has been given up to wickedness and live how they want. And, and God said, I've given them over to that kind of life. which does not express things to me. And then we talk about the church. He says that they, in Romans 1, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, boastful. They invest in ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. When you look at the news and you look at our world, that's what the world operates in. And, and God... There's no way of giving thanks to God because it breaks God's heart because of the wickedness of how it destroys people's lives. And so then Paul talks to us in Colossians about the church, about Christians, about those who are professing his name as their saviour. It's for this reason, chapter 1, verse 9. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
we continually ask God to fill you with what? With the knowledge of His will, for the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So we have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit now with us to help us to live a life that pleases God, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So what I'm saying to you is biblical, that God wants you to live a life worthy of the Lord. Listen, and please Him. See, that's bottom line of our Christianity. It's not all about your ministry. It's not all about reaching the lost, which is important, but it is all about pleasing Him. Love the Lord with all of your heart and second is like it, love your neighbour. See, that's our priority as a Christian, that we live to please God. That we don't exchange lies to please ourselves, to gratify our own sinful desire, but we now put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature so we can give a life that gives thanks to God for what He's done for us. See, God wrote through the prophet Isaiah to His own people in the Old Testament. And He says to them, stop bringing meaningless offerings. So it's good to talk about giving financially to the church. And it's good about the other two little things that I'm going to bring to you of what we do for God. But God said, will you stop bringing meaningless offerings? Why was it meaningless? Because it was a mouth sacrifice and not a heart one. So God was saying, your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Oh, can you imagine God saying that to us today after an amazing time of worship? And then God says, will you stop having these services? They're meaningless. I can't bear them. That would break my heart. That, that would write me off. I don't mind you telling me you don't like the service. <laughs> that doesn't really bother me unless you're really committed here, then I'll listen. But if God ever said that, I wouldn't be able to get off the floor because everything would have to change. Because our life is about an audience of one, not a crowd. <laughs> Verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you, even when you offer many prayers. I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Wow. Isaiah 29, the Lord says, these people, not you, other people, Come near to me with their mouths and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, their lifestyle is miles away from what they sing. Wow. So Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, listen, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your proper kind of worship. Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your body, with your tongue, with your hands, with your feet, with your mind, with your life. Listen, it's no good coming to church and singing a few songs and thinking you've done well and you go out and live like the devil. That is not giving thanks to God. If you're really saved, if you're really saved, then something should be happening on the inside of you to make you more like Jesus. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's called a journey of sanctification that when you give your life to Him, God empowers you with a new spirit. That's why if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. Old is gone, new is coming and going and moving towards being more like Jesus. So the Holy Spirit dwells with you as well as the Word of God brings light into your life and the Holy Spirit helps you to convict you, not condemn you, to, and empowers you to live a life that pleases Jesus and give thanks to Him. Titus 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that is very own, eager to do what is good. I am a little concerned about some of the churches that no longer have a regard for living a righteous life that we think because of the grace we can live in sin and God doesn't mind. Do you know that sin will still ruin your life? Now it may not take you eternal salvation because you are sealed in His blood, but your choices you make, if they're sinful and you disobey God's word, it will cause havoc in you and the people around you. And that's why God hates sin. Because the major issue of sin is that you choose to live without God. See, sin in the middle word is I. And I is the issue that parts us from God when we choose to live our own way and not His. So we can go ahead and list a load of sins, but the main reason that we sin is because I want to do what I want to do. But as a church, we have to begin to live how God wants us to live with His power because we can't do it on our own. So Paul says to the Romans, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? So he's saying, because you've experienced the love and grace and the blood of Jesus and that you've been saved, sanctified, been made holy, how can you now as a true believer with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the people of God live a life that's sometimes detestable before God. 
He said, it cannot be, it should not be. And so when you look at the scripture, there has to be an outworking of the grace through the choices that we make to honour God with our life. And so, so I don't want to, to, to use my gift here and, and you go, oh, thank you for that word, awesome. But I go home and live a life behind the scenes that my life is not thankful to God, that my actions and my secret life is actually detestable to God because that is where the rubber hits the road. It, it's our daily life that we want to offer thanks to Him by the choices that we make. So I can go home and not even say thank you from my mouth, but some of the choices I make says thank you. Some of the righteous choices, right choices, God way, because I want to honour him with my life because he saved me and where would I be without him today, Donna? And because of that grace, that's why Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's the foundation of our life because of God's grace. So Luke 19 says that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, here was a man who was a thief, a tax collector, who was a robber. He said, he stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anyone of, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. How do you know you're saved? Because God gets it inside of you and the things that you used to do, which is unrighteous, you say, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> you no longer go around stealing and cheating and lying. Now, all of us are on a journey and some things are a bit slower than others. But when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now lives in us and we have the Holy Word and God shows us his ways, then our response is like Zacchaeus. He wasn't like miserable when he said that to Jesus. He was so overwhelmed with salvation that he was accepted by God as a sinner that his outworking of his thanks to Jesus was, listen, if I have cheated anybody, I will give four times the amount back to them. I remember when I wasn't saved in Blackpool, I used to work on the, on the seafront and I was sold anything and anybody to anybody to earn money. And uh, we, 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 had, we had professional thieves then in Blackpool that would come into town in a season and they would make themselves known to the, the workers on the prom and, and, and a few of us and they would say to us, give me a list and, and I will get you what you need, a third of the price. So what they were saying was they were going to steal it for us. They were shoplifters. So they would go anywhere in the town and they'd come back at the end of the day with most of the list ticked off and they would, that we would give them a third of the money for the items. Now that was awesome because I wasn't saved. I'm thinking I'll have that TV, I'll have that camera. Uh, and I had, a, I had a, you know, they would come around, watch your list. Let me tell you, I had a list every week. And when they come, I was, this is amazing. But then I got saved. Now, let me tell you what that means. When I got saved, I didn't have any more lists. So when the thief came, or thieves, who were really nice people, but they were thieves. <laughs> they said, Jason, have you got your list? I went, no, I haven't got any more lists. He said, well, I said, I'm a Christian now. I don't do that. I don't buy stolen goods anymore. They went, what, are you mad? I went, I know it's really tempting that I can buy that TV for 500 quid and it's 1,500, but actually I don't want it because now I'm a new person. Yeah. Now listen, don't clap because that choice immediately 
gave thanks to God. I remember in my first church in Budley, I, I, I come great friends with a person who was not a Christian and we went playing golf and he was a character and he had this amazing set of golf clubs. And I went, wow, they're awesome. He said, do you want to buy them? And I said to them, are they stolen? And he looked at me and he went, he says, why? I said, because if I buy them off you and they're stolen, I won't be able to play them because they'll be too hot for me to handle. And I was trying to have a joke. And he went, no, you don't want them. You don't want them. I said, cool. So playing golf with him another time. And he had an amazing club, like a driver, 300 quid's worth. And I said, oh, that's an amazing club. I said, is it for sale? He looked at me, he went, you, I'm not going to, you can't buy this. I said, why? He said, because it's too hot for you. <laughs> it was very tempting. But I made a standard that I am not going to indulge in stealing. Why? Because my life represents Jesus now. And the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life and life in the full. Now listen, if I'd have bought that off him and then next week I met somebody in the golf club that says, hey, somebody's stolen my golf club and I've got it in my bag. And then I, what do I do? I can't tell him I'm a pastor. Never mind a Christian because I've got his goods in my... In my. See, the thing is, what we don't realise is that your standards will make a difference in your future. You are so in season. And now that same gentleman... And any kind of issue, he'll ring me because he's formed a trust that he knows that I will not, I'm not a thief and I can be trusted. And so I want to encourage you today in your life, what area of your life are you still doing that you used to do before you was a Christian and you justify that is, it's okay. Because that does not give thanks to God and also you will reap what you sow. There's a story in Josiah. Is that two minutes left? Wow, I'm going to finish. 156. Josiah says, but they need not account for the money entrusted to them. In 2 Kings 22, there was a group of people that gave an offering to the church. And Josiah the king came into position. And he said, look, go and take the offering and give it to needs to have it. And this is what he said about these men. He said, but they, they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Wow. In other words, give that money to these men. We don't even need to, to follow them up because we know they're honest in their dealings. If, if the church could be honest in its dealings, we'd have a bit of revival. If you could go home and be honest in your finances, if you could be honest with your decisions, you'd be honest with your spouse, if you could be honest in your life, you'd have revival next week in your life. And not only that, it will give expressions of thanks to God. Colossians, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips with its practices. And put on your new self, which, listen to this, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of the Creator, which Romans decided not to do. 
I suppose I must finish and carry this message on in two weeks. See, if you want to express our thanks to God, then we need to sin less, but we can't be sinless. Did you get that? You can't be sinless till Jesus comes back, but you can sin less. You can go home today and make a decision in your life, what area do I need to sin less in so my life can start to give more thanks to God in my life. So the thing is, because we're not perfect, we do mess up and we do occasionally make things mistakes, but I'm not talking about that kind of missing the mark or sin. It's the choices that we know every day that we're making and actually is not right before God. They're deliberate choices that we know that we've made, premeditated and planned. These are the things that we've got to sort out. And John says in his Gospels, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's stand because I'm going to finish on the last point because my time's up. I didn't really know how long the first point was going to last. But it's true. If we know the Lord and the Holy Spirit lives in you and you've given your life to him, our life should be getting more like him every year in some way. Our private decisions must honour him to give thanks to him. There has to be an outworking of grace for the choices that we make to give thanks to him with our life. And as I come back to what I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to, to deposit in some of you today, because the other area is that our financial giving gives thanks to God. And I want to finish with, with a prayer. Because I realise that in Corinthians 8, 2, 8, it tells us that, that many will give thanks for their generosity. And their hearts will overflow of gratefulness because they gave to people in need. And I had a little thought that many times we come to church and we thank the worship team, and we do thank the worship team. Come early, set up, give the heart, worship practice. All those volunteers, kids, workers, without you, we couldn't do it. And we thank you for it, and we appreciate you. But there's one category of people that we don't actually applaud. And that's those of you online and in this room that give financially to this church. So the reason why I've asked everybody to stand is so that none of you feel that he's only singling out people that give financially. I don't want to do that. But I, what I really want to do, and I felt God asked me to do this, because your financial giving is an expression of thanks to God. And he spoke in my heart and said, I want to thank them publicly for the financial contribution to this church for how long you've given. Because without your finances, we couldn't do this today apart from all the gifting and the help and service, but with your finances for the last 55 years, if you've been in this church, has actually enabled this church to do what God has mandated it to do. And as a senior leader here with all our leaders, I want to say on behalf of them, to everyone in this room, everyone online, specifically 
who have given financially through pandemic, in season, out of season, let's not give up on honouring God, putting Him first and sowing into it. I want to say on behalf of this church and the Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me tell you, our hearts go out to you and we appreciate you. That's not to say those that don't give, we don't appreciate you. But I need to elevate, I need to bring to the spotlight just at the moment to say every one of you that's given financially and some of you sacrificed, some of you know it's been hard going. God knows. And I just felt him saying, I want you, Jason, today to thank everyone that's sowing financially to thank them and to know I know every penny they've given. It's been an expression to me but also an expression to those people that's going to come to know me. So can we give a massive applause right now, every one of you in this room? Thank you. Thank you. Father God, as we come to a close, Father God, I, Lord, I ask you for your seed to flow in our lives. I pray that, that what has been said today will make our lives more thankful to you. I ask you for decisions that's going to be made this week will be righteous ones. That will not exchange a lie for the truth. But Lord, we'll, we'll make some transitions to honour you with our lives. And Father, for those that financially contribute our, to our church, would you, would you throw an extra blessing over them? Would you let them know how appreciated they are for their faithfulness? And I ask you, Father, for an overflow. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.